Eventually, all it took was the bang of this gavel to declare the G20 New Delhi summit a grand success. I this declaration Hello and welcome to this early edition of Worldview. We're looking at all that the G20 summit in India was able to achieve. The big wins, the spotlight, the shade and the seven big takeaways. So first, let me just list for you what we think are the seven big takeaways of the G20 New Delhi Summit, the 18th summit. The first, that there was a New Delhi declaration, a New Delhi leadership declaration, the NDLD as it's called. The second were the paragraphs of Ukraine that met with consensus, complete consensus across the board. The third, African Union membership. The fourth, uh, climate change, some progress in the language. The fifth, the biofuel alliance uh, that was launched. And on the sidelines, the India, Middle East, Econ Europe economic corridor. And the seventh being the review meeting of the G20 that was announced for November. So let's just tell you a little bit about each of these. The first, the joint declaration was the most important success of the summit. 83 paragraphs over 32 pages and then with about five pages of annexures on other meetings that were held in India. Thus far, remember there had been close to uh, 200 G20 meetings across 60 cities uh, and not even one of those meetings had been able to put out a joint statement. They ended instead with a chair summary uh, and or an outcome document, but not a consensus amongst everybody. Now we're going to tell you a bit about how that was achieved, but what's important to remember is that no G20 summit thus far since 2008 had failed to put out a joint declaration. So India ensured that that record was kept. Skillful negotiations by India's Sherpa team and all the officials at the summit made it much easier also for Brazil to hold the next summit and to build on this consensus. What's also significant is that the summit statement was declared as a win by both sides. Allow me to thank Prime Minister Modi. Modi. Uh, faithful to its principles, um, India uh, did its utmost for its presidency of the G20 to serve unity and peace and send across a message of unity while Russia is still waging its war of aggression in Ukraine. This summit has been a milestone from the point of view of giving a clear guiding star for us to follow. So the second point really on the Ukraine paragraphs, how was this achieved? G20, remember, has been broadly divided on the Ukraine conflict with G7 countries, that is the European Union, American allies, Australia and South Korea on one side. They wanted tough references to Russia as an aggressor in the conflict and no reference to Western sanctions. Then there's the Russia and China combine on the other side. They were opposed to any references of Russia, the war itself, and they wanted references to Western sanctions put in. There were, then there were the countries in the middle, India, Brazil, Argentina, Indonesia, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, and Turkey, the eight remainders, significantly all members or observers of the non-aligned movement, the NAM, and they have all broadly criticized the war, but not joined the sanctions. India, of course, has abstained from any criticism. Most significant, and if you look at the declaration, were the eight paragraphs in the joint statement on pages five and six that pertained to the Ukraine war. 
Now, sig significantly and especially compared with the Bali G20 summit, the one that had uh, been put out after the Bali summit, the G20 summit in November of 22, the paragraph wasn't titled Geopolitical Issues or Ukraine. It was entitled For the Planet, People, Peace and Prosperity. Uh, paragraphs didn't re did directly refer to Russia as an aggressor in the Ukraine war, although it referenced UNGA resolutions that did. So that's how Russia declared this a win for themselves. Uh, the paragraphs recognize that the G20 is not the platform to resolve geopolitical and security issues, something China wanted. However, it said the conflict can have significant consequences for the global economy. Therefore, it is being discussed. It adds the line uh, that in line with the UN Charter, all states must refer, uh, refrain from the threat or the use of force to seek territorial acquisition against uh, the territorial integrity and sovereignty or political independence of any state. So European countries said this definitely refers to Russia. So they claimed it as a win, although it doesn't have any particular country name there. It doesn't refer directly to sanctions by the West either, but to negative added impacts of the war. And the use or threat of uh, nuclear weapons being inadmissible is also being seen as a win by the West. Uh, furthermore, it adds a paragraph on reviving the Black Sea Grain Initiative that lapsed in July this year. So if it is revived, it gives Russia more access to the SWIFT financial system despite the Western sanctions and to Ukraine, the grain and oil exports will be sent out despite the Russian blockade. So that would be a win-win deal when it comes through. Speaking after the event, External Affairs Minister said, of course, India worked very hard for this outcome, but it was the emerging economies that helped the most listening. But I think uh, if I Sherpa would bear me out, I think the emerging markets took a, a particular lead on this. And, you know, many of us uh, have a, a strong history of working together. Bear in mind that uh, actually you have four developing countries in succession as G20 presidency, Indonesia, us, uh, Brazil and South Africa. In fact, let's just show you quickly what the four countries did. Talks had gone into an impasse a day before the G20 summit. And there on your screens, that's the proposal that India, Indonesia, Brazil and South Africa gave in. It was reported exclusively on at the Hindu. And as you can see, it has been brought into the G20 declaration word for word. So let's move on to some of the other achievements of the G20 summit in India. And there wasn't always agreement on these issues, so it's important. The, the, the next one is really the African Union membership. While this has been a long pending demand of the 55 nation AU or African Union, India actually finally led the push to successfully bring in the African Union. It's the second regional organization that is a member of the G20 after the European Union. And this will obviously significantly alter the composition of the G20 and it could pave the way for others like CELAC of South America and ASEAN of Southeast Asia as well. Then on climate change, the outcomes were a bit of a mixed bag while the statement committed to tripling renewable energy capacity worldwide by 2030 and spelt the need for nearly $10 trillion in climate financing for the developing countries. It couldn't record an agreement on things like phasing out coal or fossil fuels, and it didn't set new ambitious deadlines for all the net zero ambitions, as they're called. The next uh, achievement was the launch of the Biofuel Alliance, 
Something India and Brazil have particularly been working on bilaterally, essentially to make ethanol and other biofuels a mandatory part of the global fuel mix. Therefore, bringing down the, uh, the amount of fossil fuels that countries have to import. The GBA, as it's called, is made up of India, US, Brazil, Argentina, Bangladesh, Italy, Mauritius, South Africa, and the UAE, Canada, and Singapore as observers. Very interesting that the IPSA grouping teaming up with the US and other countries. On the sidelines of the meeting was what was called a game changer plan for an India-Middle East infrastructure corridor, IMEC as it's known, of 8,000 kilometers that would see a shipping route from India to Dubai, a rail corridor across Middle Eastern countries from Oman and UAE to Saudi, and even possibly Israel, and then on to Europe and the United Kingdom, which is being built uh, right now as, a, as an answer to the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. Now, it's significant because European countries like Italy have now uh, withdrawn from the BRI. But how much can it succeed in that plan? The plan is certainly ambitious, um, but at present is an MOU. It's a memorandum of understanding, not an agreement. Questions remain to be answered on who will fund the railway line in particular, whether the ship rail, ship rail route would prove as effective as current shipping routes uh, that go through the Suez Canal do, and how long will this corridor actually take to build. Finally, Prime Minister Modi has proposed a review meeting of G20 objectives in November this year before India formally hands over to Brazil. And that's a very important step in terms of holding the G20 accountable, uh, an initiative that Prime Minister Modi actually put into place in the final session. While diplomacy is never a zero-sum game on winners and losers, let's just tell you who got the glory, who stood in the spotlight, and who was thrown some shade. So in the winners category is definitely India, Indian diplomacy, especially Prime Minister Modi's outreach to leaders that ensured that all G20 countries had a stake in the success of the Indian presidency. They didn't just do this for themselves or for the G20. They actually agreed to the consensus because they wanted to make India's G20 presidency a success. Because without a statement, without a declaration, without a consensus, there may have been a lot of question marks asked about it. Um, the second winner has to be Russia, uh, and we took you through some of the reasons, but it definitely gained from the statement that it raised blame to Russia for the war, even though European leaders claimed this was not the case and that Russia was actually isolated at the table. Uh, the third big winner is multilateralism, the fact that all countries were willing to compromise in order to forge that G20 declaration. Even many feared that the absence of a statement would have meant the end of the G20. That's something the German ambassador said. One of the only forums, uh, the G20 is really one of the only forums, apart from the UN Security Council, where both sides of the geopolitical divide are represented this way. And some fear that if the G20 disappears, groups like the now 11-member BRICS, which we spoke about on Worldview, and the G7 European Union and Allies would be divided in the world further. Uh, the fourth big winner, the Global South, the voice of the Global South has been amplified in the G20 statement and the outcomes. Of course, there was a conference in India earlier, a virtual conference, and the need to give developing nations issues a priority will also uh, be much louder given that the African Union is now a member. The fifth big winner, the G20 process itself. India's push to democratize and popularize the G20 
take it to other cities, make it more about the local culture and flavors will endure. Although, of course, uh, many countries have made it clear they cannot spend the same amount that India has on the entire event. So who's on the shade side taking a bit of shade? Uh, one, certainly China. By skipping the summit, Chinese President Xi Jinping missed being a major part of the proceedings. And China was absent from important initiatives like inducting the AU and the Biofuel uh, Alliance, as well as the IMEC, which sees, seeks a counter to China. The third, the Western Alliance. Ukraine was, of course, the first to criticize the G20 declaration and said Western countries have nothing to be proud of. Each of the leaders, in fact, including Biden, Trudeau, Macron, Scholz, all took heat from their own media on what the newspapers called a climb down and even a sellout. Listen in to what Canadian Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau said when he was asked that question. Hi, Prime Minister. I'm wondering if you can say why you signed on to and agreed to a leader's declaration that does not condemn Russia for its illegal invasion of Ukraine. If it was just up to me, the leader's declaration would have been much stronger, particularly on Ukraine. If it was just up to other countries around the table, it would have been much weaker, particularly on Ukraine. Now, Mr. Trudeau himself came in for much unflattering commentary as he skipped many of the G20 meetings, including part of the banquet. The conversations with Prime Minister Modi showed both leaders quite uncomfortable with each other, and it ended with both sides airing their differences over the Khalistan issue for India and the issue of foreign interference for Canada. Making matters worse, Mr. Trudeau's plane developed technical issues, and he was not able to take off from Delhi for two whole days after the summit. Um, the fifth is that the visiting media was also critical of the fact that press access at the G20 was limited. So we'd say press access was thrown some shade. Um, they also commented on the fact that only Prime Minister Modi's billboards dotted the roads in the G20 venue and there were no photos of other G20 leaders uh, that they could see. Okay, so on this edition of Worldview, we're not going to give you reading recommendations simply because we gave you a number of books in the last episode. So please do look at that book and do read the New Delhi Leadership Declaration that is available online and links at thehindu.com. So what's Worldview's take is that there is no taking away from India's G20 success, uh, which has definitely left an indelible mark on both the outcomes and the G20 process itself. New Delhi will be remembered. What is important is that the world preserves this moment of consensus and builds on it to bring the most pressing conflicts and resulting sanctions of the time to an end at the earliest. India's push for multilateralism and a multipolar world and its adherence to a middle path is ultimately what won it its major G20 moment. So that's all we have time for on this edition, but do join us again. Do click and subscribe to the Hindus YouTube channel and like this video if you do. And join us again next week from the team. Thanks for watching.